Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host and president of Mission Go. And I have a text from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, which says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a lively hope because the Lord Jesus Christ, who's God's only begotten Son, left the glories of heaven to come to earth to become a man, the God-man, 100% God and 100% man, undiminished deity wrapped up into perfect humanity. He was born in a manger, he grew up and lived a sinless life, and he went to the cross and bore our sins in his own body as he hung on the tree. And this is a lively hope is because Jesus Christ rose on the third day, and because he rose from the dead, we are promised eternal life and the fact that we will rise from the dead as well and have a resurrection body just like his and we will serve him throughout eternity. What a great blessing it is. And the Bible tells us that our efforts or our work here on earth that are under the control of the Holy Spirit are rewarded and we will be blessed as we serve with Jesus Christ throughout eternity. It's a radio edition of Global Times. Today we have in our studio Jim and Sarah Ellsmore, who have been longtime missionaries in North America. They've been planting churches in areas where the church is either closed or it's, the congregation is so small they can't support a pastor. And uh, they've been able to go in and rescue these churches and uh, get a gospel message out. And Jim, why don't you uh, tell us about how the Lord brought you to faith? Well, I would have to begin as a child. I had godly grandparents who prayed for me and had a concern that I would come to know the Lord. And of course, to their delight, I did come to faith in Jesus Christ on August 14, 1960, uh, in my grandfather's church. I uh, got saved. I walked forward and invited the Lord into my heart. 
And of course, my whole life was revolutionized. It totally changed. And of course, from there, I was going with uh, my wife, Sarah, at the time. We were later on contemplating marriage. And of course, I had only been saved for about a month. And uh, my wife and I were married. And of course, my grandfather gave us a Bible. And he said, Jimmy, he said, start a family altar with your wife, your new wife. And he said, start in the Gospel of John. And when we got to uh, the third chapter of John, I turned to my dear wife, Sarah, and I said, are you saved? Are you born again? And uh, she was a little bit irritated because she had been raised in a denominational church. And, had, and to make a long story short, as we got further into it, uh, she came to the place where she asked me, how do you know? You're telling me all these things uh, from the Bible, and you've never gone to seminary. And I said, well, I don't know how, because when I came to faith, there was only one verse that I knew, and that was John 3.16. And of course, that's a universal gospel in itself. But uh, anyway, uh, as we prayed more and read the Bible more, my wife came to the place where uh, she just went by herself, and she said, Lord, I don't know what Jim has, but I want it. And uh, from there, God led us. We were living in the center city of Philadelphia. I was studying uh, commercial art. I was just about finished with my fourth year. Sarah was a lab tech, and uh, she was uh, working in uh, cancer research at Children's Hospital. And I had pursued a faith in a, a big denominational church, became a part of the church, before that, and you know, my heart was still empty. Uh, I, I wasn't fulfilled because I wasn't saved. Well, then later on, once she got saved, I was working in an art supply store uh, part-time to help with uh, paying for my supplies and tuition. Uh, this gentleman came in and he stuck out his hand and he said, my name is Herm Heffy. Are you born again? And you know, it just, uh, I must have just lit up because I was so overwhelmed that I could meet somebody who was a Christian. And of course, uh, we went from that introduction to uh, this family would meet us and they would take us to their church every Sunday. And so this was a real uh, blessing from the Lord. And of course, at that particular time, the pastor, and of course, I remember the first Sunday we went there, it was on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And you know, when we heard that word of God being preached, we both wept because it was such a, a such a, a real uh, hunger in our hearts to know God's word. And uh, so we joined the church. We were baptized and uh, uh, we stayed there. And uh, we were also involved with, uh, at that time, the Billy Graham a crusade was in Philadelphia. And so we both worked as volunteers to mark Bibles and uh, met with the prayer meeting groups. And wouldn't you know it, I finished my, uh, my uh, fourth year. I had my portfolio ready. I had al already had a job as an illustrator for a big company that made office furniture. And so I had a job, but, but I came home one day, I got the mail out of the mailbox and Sarah said, you must have got it, she said, but I was deferred. And of course, the Cold War broke out and uh, they were drafting everybody. And so uh, I got my greetings 
from the president. And of course, we had never been away from each other. And so it was a, it was a very time of testing in our lives. And of course, the rest is all history. We, we got out of the service and I applied to a Bible college. And I still remember President Miles, he's with the Lord now. He said, well, Jim, I understand you want to come to this Bible college. How much money do you have? And I said, I've got $75. He said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, you can come on board and we'll trust the Lord for the rest. And you know, God was good. He met our needs. I did work part-time. She worked part-time. We did have a, a little boy at that, at that point. And God just... Uh, marvelously, miraculously uh, brought in what we needed when we needed it, a place to live, that our church provided a lot of the furniture, and on and on it goes. Our God is so good, and uh, we're, we're so glad that uh, uh, we have the privilege of serving Him. Oh, praise the Lord. What a, what a great story, <laughs> Jim. It's really uh, exciting to, uh, to hear how God met your need at every point. Praise the Lord that... Uh, he chose you to be a church planner and, and to build up the body of Christ in various places in North America. The Lord bless you. We'll continue the story next week. Thank you for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. This month, we're offering The Life of David, which is a tremendous booklet. First of all, it has a timeline of his life. This pamphlet is pretty comprehensive. It's easy to understand. And I was really blessed by it, and it'll help our spiritual life to see how God worked in a man who was after God's own heart, even though he wasn't a perfect man, but how God used him and even used his kingship as a foreshadow of the Lord Jesus Christ coming later in time as the Messiah. And so I encourage you to get a copy of this. You can write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario. L2R 7A7. Or in the United States, you can write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. And we ask that you continue to pray for this broadcast throughout this next week. Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. I need you. Come. Sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in your strength and your power. Come in your own gentle
Today's message is from the Honorable Ernest C. Manning, as entitled, Faith Once Delivered. Printed copies are available upon request. Today in our series of talks entitled, The Faith Once Delivered Unto the Saints, we come to the matter of divine judgment. May I first direct your attention to three passages of Scripture, which establish this subject as an important aspect of the faith once delivered. In the Old Testament, in Ecclesiastes 12:14, we read, God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. In the New Testament, Hebrews 9:27 tells us, It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. While in Revelation 20, 11 to 15, the Apostle John says, I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Two important facts are underscored by these passages. First, everything men have done since time began, whether it be good or evil, is subject to the judgment of God. And secondly, every individual will someday be judged of God, and that judgment will determine his or her status throughout eternity. It is easy to understand, therefore, why the doctrine of divine judgment is a cardinal truth revealed in the faith once delivered unto the saints. One of the first things the scriptures do in dealing with this matter is dispel the popular but false idea that someday there will be a general judgment of all people before a great judgment throne where God will divide the good from the bad and assign each to a heaven or hell depending on the record of their lives. You know the theory, I'm sure. 
God sitting on a great white throne, with the dead of all ages standing before him, as he reviews the record of their lives and the books which will be opened, and then divides them into two groups, the sheep from the goats, the good from the bad, and invites those who have done good into heaven, and banishes those who have done evil into the fires of hell. I assure you this is in no sense what the scriptures teach about the judgment of God. The general judgment theory is purely a figment of imagination on the part of those prone to refer flippantly to the idea of life beyond the grave, and who lack any clear understanding of man's alienation from God and its eternal consequences, unless they're reconciled to God, not by works of righteousness, but through the atoning efficacy of Christ's divine blood shed for their sins on the cross of Calvary. What the inspired scriptures do teach is that there are five distinct and separate judgments. One of them is in the past, and four still in the future. Perhaps you'd like to make a few notes for future reference, as I endeavor to trace out the five judgments and what they will mean for the people involved. Let us first deal with the four, four that will take place in the future. The first in order of time will be the judgment of those who are Christians, that is, those who have received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior during this present church age, or age of the gospel of the grace of God, which he revealed to mankind through the Apostle Paul, as we discussed in an earlier talk in this series. That coming judgment of believers in Christ is described in Romans 14 and 10, 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, and 1 Corinthians 3, 9 to 15. Those and other passages make clear as we also noted in an earlier talk, that the judgment of Christians at the judgment seat of Christ has nothing to do with their entrance into heaven, but will be a judgment of their lifestyle and their service to Christ, which will determine their future rewards. If any man's work abides the testing fire, 1 Corinthians 3, 14 and 15 says, he shall receive a reward. But if, if any man's work is of the wood, hay, and stubble variety, and is consumed by the testing fire, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. It is important that we as Christians understand that our manner of life and our service for Christ someday will come under his divine scrutiny and judgment, and the outcome will affect our future rewards and our status throughout eternity. Our manner of life and service for Christ as those professing to be his is important anticipating the examination we will face when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The Apostle Peter asks, What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Our judgment as believers will take place in heaven during the interval of time between Christ's appearing to remove his church from this world and his second coming with his church to set up his millennial kingdom on this earth. The second judgment of the future is the judgment of nations that will take place when Christ returns to this earth with his church. It is described in Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Verses 31 and 32 say, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them. Notice them isn't referring to individuals, but to nations. Before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them, one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. The 
chapter goes on to point out that the basis of their judgment will be their attitude and actions towards those referred to as Christ's brethren, a biblical term used to describe the redeemed people of God, including his chosen earthly people Israel. Read the passage carefully and you'll discover that God holds nations responsible for their attitude towards and their treatment of those who are his during their pilgrimage through the hostile environment of this ungodly world. The status of nations during the thousand years of Christ's earthly reign will be determined by the category into which they fall at the judgment of nations, decided by what they did or did not do for those whom Christ refers to as the least of these, my brethren. The third future judgment will be that of fallen angels who chose to follow Lucifer in his original rebellion against God and also those who violated one of God's immutable decrees when they entered into illicit relations with women prior to the universal flood in the days of Noah. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 3, 19, 20 refers to them as spirits which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing. And in 2 Peter 2 and 4, as angels that sin, whom God cast down to hell and delivered into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Jude refers to them in verse 6 as the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. And goes on to say that God has reserved them in everlasting chains unto the judgment of the great day. We're not told precisely when the future judgment of these fallen angels will take place. But 1 Corinthians 6, 3 says that someday we, that is Christians, shall judge angels, which indicates that we will play some role in their future judgment. The fourth and last judgment to come is that of the unbelieving dead of all ages, which will take place at the end of Christ's millennial reign when he will take his place on what is described in Revelation 20 as the great white throne. We referred to this briefly in an earlier talk in connection with the future resurrection of the unbelieving dead. Let me read again from Revelation 20 beginning at verse 11. I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We noted in an earlier talk that the resurrection of the unbelieving dead of all ages will, according to Revelation 20 and 5, take place after Christ's earthly millennial reign is ended. The resurrection of those the Bible calls the just will have taken place long before. The Christians of this age at Christ's appearing to remove his church before the Antichrist comes on the world scene. And the Old Testament saints at Christ's return to earth with his church to set up his kingdom. Only the unbelieving dead will remain, and they are those resurrected and judged at the judgment of the great white throne. Their judgment will not determine their eternal destiny. That was determined by themselves before they died. As Christ said, 
He that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What will be determined at the great white throne will be the sentence or degree of eternal punishment for those who ignored or rejected God's offer of forgiveness and eternal salvation through Jesus Christ. My friend, if you have not received Christ as your personal Savior, someday you will stand in judgment before the great white throne, having already forfeited all hope of heaven. Now why place yourself in such a position? Why refuse the full and free forgiveness God in His love and mercy offers you today? If only you will avail yourself of the salvation Christ purchased for you by dying for your sins in your place on the cross. I plead with you not to put off any longer acknowledging your sins and your need of God's forgiveness or to longer delay receiving Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. I said earlier that there is one great judgment that already has taken place. It is the judgment that took place nearly 2,000 years ago on the hill of Calvary outside Jerusalem where God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, died for your sins and the sins of all mankind on the old rugged cross. There God pronounced judgment on your sins and then transferred them and their penalty to the sinless head of His own beloved Son. The Bible says, He hath made Him to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. On the cross, God's judgment of our sins fell on Him, and He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. With His stripes we are healed. He bore our judgment that God might extend to us His mercy and forgiveness and still satisfy the requirements of divine and eternal justice. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He that believeth in him is not condemned, but by him all that believe are justified from all things. What an offer! What an opportunity! What infinite divine love! Won't you respond to what Christ did for you on the cross by opening your heart and life to him today? Now is God's appointed time. Tomorrow may be forever too late. As our invitation hymn is sung, bow your head and in simple faith, ask Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior from this hour on. May God help. I trust that the Lord blessed you as you listened to God's Word, and I trust that throughout this week you'll be able to apply these biblical truths to your own life. Here at uh, Canada's National Bible Hour, we're really concerned about people growing in their faith, but also those who may not know Jesus personally. And of course, the gospel was very clear that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, which means that God's a holy God, He's a perfect God, He's a pure God, and He can't be in the presence of sin. Of course, we're all sinners. Each day, each one of us commits sin and so that would disqualify us from being in God's presence. But God made a way. He sent the best gift that he had, 
Jesus Christ, the Son, was God, but he came, became man and lived a sinless life with the purpose of going to the cross. And on the cross, he bore our sins in his own body as he hung on the tree. He took our place. He took the hell that we deserve, the punishment that we deserve for each of our sins. He, he paid for on that cross. And he died and he rose again on the third day and he's alive today. The Bible says that we those who receive him become the children of God. The verse that I was saved on was Acts 16:31, which says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. As a young boy of 12, I received Christ as my Savior and became a believer. And God has directed my life from that time forward. And I ask that you would do the same thing. If you would humble yourself, confess your sin, and ask Jesus to come into your life, he will do that. And he'll make you a new creature according to the word of God. Don't forget to order your copy of The Life of David. You can write to Kaznan. National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R787, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231, or you can get past broadcasts or listen to this one again on the web at www.missiongo.org. Pray for us, and if you want a copy of The Life of David, please write and we'll send you a free copy. May the good Lord bless you throughout this week.